Hi, this is Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey from the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. And you are listening to Seven Land Hand. Get it. HPPodcraft.com. It's Seven Land Hand! Woo! Brought to you Australia wide by Good Games. <clears throat> There's a shadow over Hurstville, and it looks suspiciously like the Seven Land Hand podcast. That's right, a road trip. We've crossed country. Not that place in high school where bad kids used to stop and have a smoke, but a place for a geeky loving. Pass me your plushy Cthulhu, and let's have a hug. First, your thirst for Hurstville. This is Seven Land Hand. Ready to state their respective support for plushy Nile Arthur and Manga Azathoth, it's Hemingway Hued, Jamie Lawrence. Good afternoon, everyone. Inside jokes, sir. Hemingway Hued. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. all pink and purple and boat covered. And the dastardly design himself, it's Kim Brewback. Hello, hello. More on that monstrous entry later on. And uh, also, already comes with alliteration of his own. It's Luke Lancaster. So I don't get a name. <laughs> but you've, you've double-L'd it up. Yeah, you've double-L'd hey. already. Okay. Gentlemen, <laughs> what's uh, been happening in your respective worlds of geek, which I've never heard from, except yeah, for let's, you, Jamie. Well, let's do some introductions. Um, you, you Kim, more... where from? Uh, I'm from Sydney, but uh, I work for Good Games now, so I actually am the director of Good Games Publishing, and I've designed a game called Monstrous, which is just starting to drop all over the place right now, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, yeah, we'll sure. talk two weeks ago about, because this is the show that's following the big Monstrous show, which everyone's already listened to. We are back to the futuring. Um, listen, listen to the interview with... Uh, Kim, two weeks ago, previous episode. Luke, my Hurstville homie, where are you yes. from? There you go, you got uh, some alliteration. Uh, I'm from here, mostly. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I'm at the store more than I'm at my own home, which is which is just a great admission. Uh, no, I'm a tech journalist. I write about pop culture. I play a lot of games, so I think those are my nerd cred. A lot of games. A lot of games. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad. What's the game that's currently uh, rocking the world? Ooh. Like, it, it's always the Star Wars card game for me. Yeah, you were mentioning there's a lot of uh, the living card games. The living card games, stuff, yeah. Which going deep on that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess we can get this in now because we're talking about magic later. It's magic, but you don't need to keep buying boosters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. More than that, it's magic themed with your favourite pop culture stuff. Pretty much, so yeah. So Game of Thrones, you get Star Wars. Um, Netrunner is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyberpunk. The, the new L5R one that they'll be doing. They are. When's that due out? Uh, it's coming out at Gen Con this year, I believe it's okay. first debut. debut so I think that's going to be kind of big. I'm yeah. so excited. I've, I am the biggest still 5R fan on you earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and with the new edition coming out, I'll, I'll continue that trend. So in general, we can geek news. Uh, something came across the interwebs uh, via Jamie, actually. Uh, Zajniki. You with me? I, I am with you mostly. Uh, also known as Guardians, a Russian film that's uh, there to parallel the Avengers, but made in Russia, where they, they talk about it in one of the articles I read as uh, Russia's chance to not make Russia the bad guys. Um, <laughs> and, most, and most of all, a werewolf that's got wielding a machine gun. We're bear. We're, We're bear, bear, which is even better. It is much better. <laughs> all right, and like at least twice as Russian. Oh, well, I know, it is, isn't it? And you can see there's a lineup of the characters... I assume before they transform, and there's just this hulkish guy with a big beard, and mm. he'll, he'd be a werebear guy. He looks like he'd be a guy who'd turn into a bear. I love, I love Russian culture. Like, like, just everything I find out about Russia interests me more in Russia. Um, I've read a long-running science fiction series uh, that they made movies called The Night Watch. Um, I remember that, yeah, a few mm-hmm. years ago. 
by novelist Sergei Lukyanenkov. Um, and uh, they're just the most fascinating pictures of modern Russia laced with this sort of undertone, underbelly of uh, good versus evil supernatural stuff. Really cool. But this this trailer, The Guardians, yeah. just like... It's, it's weird because There's something it's about different. seeing a man transform into a bear, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, no, it's not until the final grab that you see it. And it's kind of weird because up until that point, it's very kind of melancholic music and very... Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you were seeing an Avengers movie, it's all like, right, grab him by the scruff of the neck and throw him around and bang, bang, bang. But it's all very... And then it, the titles come up, go, this is going to be a movie. And then Webair smashes his way out of a cabin. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's just I'm I'm all over it already. When yeah. is that dropping? Uh, I don't know if we've later got this year, I believe. It doesn't no. have an exact date, but um, it's coming out of Russia, so it might take a while to get here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of news on seventh on C3PO getting his uh, red arm. Maybe been reading yes. about that. Um, AV Club had a write up about the comic series where that's revealed. What, what do you know about it, Luke? Um, I, I don't know what our relationship with spoilers is here. Uh, well, what? Yeah, he has a red arm. He in. does have a red arm. <laughs> most disappointingly, most it's not a red Awakens. right hand. I would have loved that to have happened. C three PO. That is bass. way too cool to be three PO. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So that, they probably thought that and thought, no, nah, other side, yeah. mate, other side. <laughs> <laughs> but so he does have a red right arm. I suppose all I all I know about it is that it's in. It, they're, they're kind of opening up a couple of storylines, aren't they, through the comic yeah. book world? Um, so it was a one shot comic. I. Yeah, don't know the name of the writer off the top of my head, but it explains how Threepio got his red arm, which he carries all the way through Force Awakens. Yes, yeah. it's apparently quite a melancholy tale. It sounds it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly have difficulty seeing C three PO as a tragic hero, but you know, you know, I suppose he might have a whole rich life apart from R two that you just never see. Yeah, there is a cynical point of view where they said this is just a way of rebranding C three PO. So if you just got the box and C three PO from the seventies, no, no, you need to buy the new one with the with the red left arm. Um, such a disappointment. Well, someone else pointed out that in the final scene of uh, Force Awakens, his arm's back to gold as well. So yeah, they fixed it by then. Did it, did they fix it? I guess. But it's not a fixing; it's a tribute. It is. It's a tribute. Without going the spoiler route, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Shall we prod uh, prod Jamie with the big news of the month? Ooh, I have big news. No, no, you don't have it, but you're about to respond to it. Oh, okay. Pandemic reign of Cthulhu. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, baby, that's happening. I love Cthulhu. I hate <laughs> pandemic. I hate it so much. But Just, look, let's give it half a try. This, in little outbreaks of things, getting you know places getting more intense with a certain vibe, and then something stronger occurs, like is in pandemic. That lends itself to a gate opening around the world. I've tried to be really middle Love ground and, and open-minded about this. But the more I think about it, the more I'm just going hardcore. I already have Eldritch and Arkham Horror. I don't need Japan yeah. and Cthulhu. Go away. That's the conversation. <laughs> is it's like, what's, what's it going to bring that Eldritch Horror isn't already, hasn't already got? Or any of the other 17 reskins of Pandemic that have been done. Like, <laughs> Whereas I haven't played much Pandemic, and I find this kind of like a curious way to explore the mechanic. It's a, a so, bit more thematically. See, what you're saying is that Reign of Cthulhu Pandemic could be a gateway game into playing Pandemic, it which is the quintessential <laughs> gateway game. <laughs> so weird. <but laughs> the gateway that, into the gateway. That is accurate. Far out. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's getting very Inception. That's how late we are. Yeah, <laughs> I feel the, ceiling, the floor folding into the ceiling. I'm certainly interested in a Cthulhu-themed Pandemic, but what I love about Arkham and Eldritch is just the game will hose you sometimes, and it's not fair... Yeah. But it's a great narrative. Getting hypothermia in Cairo, Jamie. Yeah, I died on the second <laughs> turn. <laughs> that's, uh, it, yeah, that's just part of 
the fun of the mythos to me. It is. And uh, look, I hope that some of that is brought to Pandemic Cthulhu. I... I'm feeling a bit cynical and that it's just going to be a skin-on pandemic. And I like to think that the Australian government's got behind uh, Pandemic Cthulhu coming out because have you seen the new $5 note? Very much like a disease is outbroken on the cover of the note. It does look exactly like that. It looks very bizarre. I think no one's going to want to touch that. Uh, it's a little Petri dish in a note. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's a Petri dish of, of money. Uh, got news on... Oh, this Netflix news. Anyone got any Netflix news? Uh... Kimmy Most Schmidt. Stan news actually. Is the Stan news? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not usually like, I'm, I'm any, usually any the pro Netflix guy, but um, I caught up on the entirety of I Zombie, which was just genius TV. Um, so great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I saw that on the plane over. Actually, they had a few episodes of that. Yeah, well, they're they're not. It's not full on crazy zombie apocalypse zombies. They're just sort of, they're dead and then crave brains, um, sort of like no living dead zombies. But, so they've um, got to kind of deal with it without being really. But nasty whenever they to the eat neighbors. one and sate their hunger, they go back to being normal and they get memories from the brains that they've eaten. So oh, the, right. the lead character uses it to solve detectives, solve uh, solve mysteries. <laughs> so you just got to eat them brains of people that were kind of witnesses to the well that were crime. dead they, like, you oh get, they're right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah so murder victims and then she sees what they saw in their final moments sort of thing so I, I sponsored by Apple <laughs> it's, uh, it's based on a DC comic um, it's which, little, little I Big Z mm-hmm. which was which was more I think um, uh, more, more literary more uh, you know I Claudius than I <laughs> Capital I, then. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I've got, um, maybe not so nerdy, but uh, have you seen the promo for Special Correspondence with Gervais and Eric Banner coming out on Netflix? <laughs> I heard about no. it. <laughs> it's a that's, quite a, that's quite a pairing. Yeah, it is, isn't it, right? It was very surprising. And to see it coming out on Netflix as well, but it looks like it could be a bit of a laugh. There's um, their Special Correspondence there, supposedly in, oh, pick a country. I think it's Ecuador. Ecuador they're supposed to have gone to, but they decide that Ecuador is a very dangerous place to go to, so they just move into an apartment across the road from the radio station and report in from Ecuador <laughs> over there. But then, then it looks like uh, they get picked up on that they've gone missing in Ecuador because no one can find them, so then they have to go to Ecuador in order to be found again, but there's lots of gun shooting and danger then that occurs. <laughs> that, that sounds fun. Yeah, it does. It looks very good. So, look, plenty of Week in Geek, but um, you've, you've come the entire width of our country to be here. Uh, geek has, stuff. How's the, has the visiting Sydney going? And yeah, what geek stuff have you done here? What geek stuff have I done here? Well, no, no, you've followed the progress of it. It hasn't been very geeky. It's been very um, excessive. Well, no, but I, I really want, I want to tease out I, want, I really want to get that in story mind? of you uh, you buying a book. <laughs> Me buy ah oh, the Poe book. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's I know. Somehow I've managed to avoid not having any uh, Edgar Allan Poe in my library forever, which is definitely in my wheelhouse. And yeah, while I was I was here, went popped in the Galaxy Bookstore. You know the. And actually, they sent me downstairs to the regular bookstore area, mm, yeah. and which where I found a, a, a beautiful, thick tome of all that is Poe. So I'll get into that. And no, you should. Yeah, Poe yeah. is uh, Poe is quintessential. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, I was following. Oh, who kicked off this show? H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Mm-hmm. They've got the what is it? The something of Usher. The fall of the fall house. Of the house. Fall of the house of Usher. And I was looking for that, and I didn't look up who wrote it. So when I got home, <laughs> I opened up the book, and I was like, oh, it's in this compilation. Fantastic. I'm set up. Nice work. So, yeah. Are you enjoying good. the trip? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's great fun. Yeah. It's good to, see your, good to see your store, finally. Yeah. Does it, does it live up to your, your visions? I'm very impressed with this. The Shadows of Innistrad, uh, the banner, is fantastic, isn't it? 
You get um, lost in Avison's eyes as she stabs you. That's yeah, before don't, she, don't stare into those for too long. That's before she gets mad, isn't it? She's looking at someone else's mad. <laughs> that's what the sound of someone getting stabbed by Avison. It's the joy of a live studio audience. Mm. So, well, um, sorry, yeah, anything else we can geek from anyone? It was, it was kind of trailer week, wasn't it? Trailer week. So what did you see? Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the new Suicide Squad trailer. Oh, is there another Suicide Squad There's trailer? There's another Suicide Squad There was another one. Ah. This one's set to Ballroom Blitz. Okay, no, I haven't seen yeah, that. They're yeah. just stealing the whole soundtrack from Wayne's World, but gee, I'm, I'm, okay I'm with so that. on board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we discussed this uh, previously, but there's yeah, the, the first trailer sold the movie as a bit of a comedy, which then DC got back to him and said, it's not a comedy, it's a lot darker. But then in the meantime, Deadpool came out and they went, well, that went well. So as movie execs do, let's change the whole movie into a, sort of a Deadpool movie and they're trying to squash it all. Does the trailer reflect that it's now... A comedy? Yeah, just to um, do a bit of a shameless plug, I've written an article on this very thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, what's, and what's the uh, the brief on that? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say I'm worried that they're advertising this as a comedy when it won't be. I think that's just but to get people about, over the line. But there's reshoots. like you know, Well, let's yeah. say $10 million worth of reshoots, but that could be like 20 I seconds. I mean, that's probably dropping yeah. the bucket. But... Yeah. Um, uh, David Ayer, has cut, the director, has come out and said it was just to add an action sequence that we didn't have in the budget before. Okay. The movie's plenty funny. Don't worry about it, guys. So are we wanting to see DC press on with it? We're dark, we're, gri- we're gritty, we're... I'd prefer something funnier, but I don't think it will be. Yeah. I'm hoping that they get eventually get to having a mix. Um, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that you can criticise Marvel for is that every single one of their movies has the same plot. It's the same yeah. superhero story, which is a lovely story, and I like seeing it, but it's over and over again. It would be nice if we saw a bit of variation. And Ant-Man was a little bit different, because like, they weren't saving the world in Ant-Man, were they, really? Well, no, they were saving a much smaller world, but yeah. it was still the same, <laughs> yeah. the same setup, you know? And, and you know, like, yeah, Ant-Man had a lot of charm, and I loved it, don't get me wrong. Um, I, love it. I love every superhero movie. But yeah. um, as, a, look, as, as an unapologetic defender for Batman vs. Superman, which I quite enjoyed... Um, I think if that's the tone of the entire DC universe, that's bad. But if we have a movie like that that ends on, you know, quite a dark note, and then we have something with Suicide Squad that is, you know, kind of fun, Hmm. that would be good and could potentially branch out into a really fully fleshed universe. It'll be interesting because we've still got Batman in that. Like, Ben Affleck is Batman in Suicide Squad. That's right. So mm. very interested to see which way it goes. Yeah. They've got a lot of ground to cover from uh, Daredevil, the movie, with Ben Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find that Luke and I are both uh, a little bit pro-Daredevil, the movie. <laughs> are you? I didn't hate it. Oh, my God. Yeah, you like the director's cut. I do like the director's cut, yeah. which adds a whole subplot of him actually being a lawyer, yeah. which is <laughs> something that's he, just not in the... Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's exciting about Dead Evil? Little, ha- little horns on his head. Yeah. <laughs> and the Evanescence soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so did Evanescence do the soundtrack for that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like two or three day. songs, I think. Oh, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we also had the second Game of Thrones season yes. yeah. trailer giving away a lot more little mm-hmm. glimpses and clues. Is that next week? No. Uh, a week ago. April? I'm trying to do the yeah, timing yeah. here. Oh, so, yeah, look, I've got... <laughs> I'm really wondering because I don't know the answer. Game of Thrones, they've pretty much like hit the point that he's written now, haven't they? Yeah. So mm. are they going, just going on plot it. on their own or are they talking no, to no, him? No, no, no. They, yeah. they talked with him. He's given them a full sketch of the plot and they're just fleshing it out. Okay. So, so it actually hit the screen before it hits the books. Yeah. 
mm. which is not how anybody who was a big fan of the books early on would have yeah. wanted it to be. Because, <laughs> but in thinking that, that that's kind of me. In thinking that it does allow me to watch the TV series and see if all my predictions about what's going to happen come true <laughs> through TV rather than through a book. So, that, so you've that been will reading be the series? Uh, yeah, I was yeah. a very early adopter and read it about five or six times. And so how did you react to seeing it on the screen? What's it, what's it like? Ah, great. I think they've done a fantastic job, even the okay. variations in, in the plot. Probably the last season copped a fair bit of flack for amping up the bad guy, misogynist stuff. Yeah. more than they really needed to and I think the reason they've done that is just to make the horrible things that are going to happen to the bad guys seem even more justified <laughs> I'm not convinced they needed to do that yeah. but they've done that and copped a bit of a shellacking for it so I think they've toned that down in the next series a little you bit you see that a lot in a lot of uh, media don't you like someone will come in and say something overly misogynistic oh just totally wrong and you go oh so he's a bad guy That's so right, when, yeah. when he dies in two episodes time we'll feel alright about yeah, it yeah super clear signaling for yeah. not so smart people but um, I don't think. But that, there's that's nothing the wrong with having someone that you like or has acted quite well die either. Is there in, no. in a show? It just makes you feel of that weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Plenty that happens as well. The um, the only other thing that I've got my weekend gig is I went and saw Jungle Book last night. Yeah, you um, said about that. It was so good, so lighthearted and fun, and reminded me of the film from my well, I mean, it's a remake of the film from my childhood, but really just took me back there. And I had my son side by side with me watching it, so you know it was like him connecting yeah, with that thing feeling. that I connected with. It was, yep. it was really good. What's intriguing mm. as well is the cast for it. We were talking about this the other oh, night, it's right? Amazing. You got Bill Murray, and you got Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken was having such a good time in that movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> who, who does he play? He, he's King Louis, okay. the, the King of the Apes. He's just the whole time. He's like, "Look, we could make a deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you give me the fire, and I will give you the jungle." <laughs> and who we got? We got so Bill Murray is Baloo. Bill, is Mur- Bill Murray is Baloo. Uh, and then ben Kingsley is Bagheera. Uh, and Idris Elba is Shere Khan, who oh, is just go, yeah. so menacing. It's great. Idris Elba can do anything, though, can he? He can. He doesn't get the. We were actually just saying yeah, before. He, he plays a great villain, and he doesn't get to do it a lot. Yeah. 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 All right. So we, we're done with geeking it up. I think I think we are adequately geeked to begin talking about games. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say what happens in Hurstville doesn't stay in Hurstville. It gets recorded and broadcast to the world, <laughs> as we've just done, and we'll do some more now. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Let's go on with it. Every month, Good Games are offering our listeners a special offer and a chance to win the game we review. This month, it's monstrous. Also in May, and while stocks last, Good Games are giving Seven Land Hand listeners 10% off Monstrous. All you have to do is hurl yourself onto a gaming table in your local Good Games store and declare to Zeus or a staff member, Get Get Monstrous! Monstrous. This May, (laughs) fellas... Get Monstrous. monstrous. That's right. (laughs) All right, let's uh, get Monstrous from Buster Booster. Buster Booster. (laughs) Extended track. (laughs) All right, we're doing Conflux this week. Yeah, Uh, do you want to tell us all this way? We're going to bust a classy booster. We're not going to sit there doing you know shadows. The up to date stuff. We don't need to know the new stuff. So So Conflux is uh, set from uh, around about six, seven years ago. Uh, it is the middle of the Shards of Alara block, which is uh, legendary for having a set that was entirely composed of gold cards. Um, that's not this oh, set. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's not this set. But, uh, you know, like, this is this is old-school magic. It's got some great stuff in it. So it was, it was impossible to play single colour at that time, then? Uh, in that... Well, that set specifically. Yeah. So the, the, the entire block had lots of... It had sort of a three-colour theme. 
So all the decks, all the sort of stereotypical right. decks they wanted you to build were three colours. And you had triple lands, and you had lands to search out lands, and you had uh, dual lands for the colours. So playing different colours was no problem at all. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it was lots of fun. You got really creative builds going on. Uh, Fantastic right. set. So we're going to open it. There's no point in reviewing it as far as if you're going to draft it next Thursday or whatever. Well, you're not likely to. It's so true. maybe we'll uh, just review the cards as they come out and uh, and yeah, see yeah. how they reflect on the game today. Absolutely. While you're busting, I'm going to point out, uh, I'm just going to run through our sort sure of resumes. So uh, I've been playing Magic since 1994 when it came out uh, in Australia. and um, Old school. And now I, I own a store where we sell it. Kim, would you like to uh, list your credentials for oh, I, got thoroughly, <laughs> I got thoroughly addicted to Magic for a long, long time. Totally obsessed. Uh, I did well in the very early years of Magic and ended up going to World Championships and stuff and yep. really, really enjoyed Magic a lot. Cool. And uh, I can say that I was thoroughly handed my ass at Worlds, and which Luke, is a good feeling. You, I know you've played casually over the years, but uh, just the last couple of weeks, you've added a pretty impressive little bit to your resume, haven't uh, you? Yeah, um, working on a story on the new set, I had the chance this week to speak with Maro, which was pretty great. Mark Rosewater, the head designer himself. Yeah, yeah. big <laughs> stuff. You got any news on that? Uh, just that he is the most singularly energetic, enthusiastic person I've ever spoken he to in my life. Like <laughs> yeah, he really the does. The singularity of magic knowledge as well, you were he saying. Is, he like... is a genius. He lives and breathes this game. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's been working on it, you know, two decades. You'd want to if you're the lead designer, yeah. But he's such a clever man. Um, if we start talking about the set later, I'll chime in with a few of his choice drops. But Yeah, for sure. All yeah, right, sure. very clever guy. All right, well, let's do it. I've, I've got in there. It's not as easy to open those old packs. Had to do it the old I school, know, yeah, yeah. separate the, uh, the There's something stuff. special about them. Even yeah. the booster itself is, like, covered in gold, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right, first card out is, uh, I think we've seen this one again. It's uh, a Millery Sphere. Uh, it's two colorless for an artifact, uh, two and tap for sacrifice a millery sphere. Search your library for up to two basic lands, reveal them and put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So, any news on that one? How do you, how do you feel about that, fellas? Any use of that one? It's, uh, look, it's already the kind of card that they put into a lot of their pre-built commander decks um, because just letting you search out two basic lands means you can play a couple of different colors pretty reliably. So once it's out, it's going to cost you two to get... Was it draw two? Yeah, so you commanded to draw two basic lands. That's right. So, you know, effectively, it's it's taking you a couple of turns to do, but it's fixing your mana for the rest of the game. Are there any other combos with um, artifact recycling or anything like that? Oh, absolutely there are. You know, we can think about the whole of Magic here, not just uh, this set. Yeah, yeah. But yes, there was actually a um, one of the factions. So there were f- uh, four factions, each of which was themed around... Sorry, five factions, each of which was themed around the three colours uh, with one colour at its pinnacle. Uh, so one of them was entirely artifact hybrid people. So, so you had um, creatures that were also artifacts and played off the number of artifacts in play and let you replay artifacts and stuff like that. So yeah, this, this was definitely... Did artifacts have value at this time? Because we're always, we're always saying, you know, usually when you're evaluating a set, you kind of ignore the artifacts because they're always going to be not something you're ever going to use. Look, it depends on the set. Um, at this, when, when Conflux came out, artifacts were largely, like I said, you know, there was one faction using them pretty extensively. Yeah. The others were splashing them in just to, uh, you know, get things they needed. 
Yeah. Magic okay. in my day was all about defining artifacts. Like, oh, I remember the so strongly, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you could tell what someone was doing if turn one they drop a meek stone or a soul ring, you know, it was good. Just, I'm just studying up on how to say this one. Cranioceros. <laughs> Cranioceros, four and a mountain for a creature who's a beast. He's a 5-2. One and a plains. Oh, there's an influence there. Uh, Cranioceros gets plus zero, plus three until end of turn. And he's a bony-looking dude with a crap load of flavor text. 5-2. <laughs> Big hitting, a short easy story. to take down. <laughs> it's, it is a short story, isn't it? <laughs> you can make him a 5-5 five five for extra money. I'm sorry, that creature's crap. It is yeah. a yeah. terrible creature. <laughs> like, yeah. First of all, only... red and white, and then and then you got to pay to keep him vaguely alive. Oh. Yeah, like, I don't know, not, even, not even the pay to keep him vaguely alive, but you have to do it off-colour as well. Yeah. Yeah. You'd never draft early pick. You'd never early pick that in a draft, would you, because you're committing early. I, I wouldn't, I'd be no. tempted not to last pick him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might want to massively overpay to trade for two costs. I don't know. I do like the idea of it being a dinosaur, you know, who's named after its head. With <laughs> <laughs> a K, that uh, makes him hard Some haste effect, and he's five two. But even that, like, it's still five mana, right? Yeah, it's no, not it's not great in no any good. way. Yeah, all right. I'm sure. I'm sure no one's. If got he had fun trample or something, that might have fixed him. But I'm sure no one's got yeah. any fun memories of this guy. So let's move on to a modern masters classic, a fairy mechanist, three and an island for a two two. He's got. He's an artifact creature, fairy artifact. Fister, uh, he's flying when Fairy Mechanist comes into play. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any, any order. That's a great card. That mm-hmm. is an excellent card. Um, searching out artifacts from the top few cards of your deck. Again, free it card is, draw. It is in a set where, you know, the, the artifacts have value. Blue white black for them. faction was art, artifacts. all artifacts, you know. Uh, it's, it's strong. All right, it's an artifact creature, so you can search out more copies of itself as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if there's artifact creatures floating around all of a sudden, I think it has mm-hmm. more value, right? Because you 2-2 two, two in the air. Perhaps a dash expensive, but, yeah. you know, it's certainly if you're playing draft, it's fantastic. Um, but, yeah, it's strong. It's good. All right. Absorb this. Not written by our Cockney friends. Uh, six and a swamp. Uh, sorcery, whose target player loses four life, and you gain four life. And it has basic, I think called basic land cycling, which I guess was a uh, mechanic at the time as well. Uh, one in a swamp, and you get to discard this card, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. But a sorcery speed, seven cost, target player loses four life, and you gain four life. Yeah, look, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of a card yeah. where cycling is your, your best thing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's like you just keep reading, hoping for the, why am I paying seven for this? This is... Yeah. Kind of depends. I reckon if if this set had a lot of black flyers in it, and you're just trying to stay alive with your life slurping spells, then yeah. maybe this is okay. But it's seven mana. Like when I played draft Magic, yeah. seven mana. There was dead no seven mana them. spells. There, there yeah. No yeah. Spells. People were yeah, dead right. by five mana. Yeah, that's the way I like to play. But so the basic land cycling. Yeah, I guess that what they're trying to do there is, the is give you. Something like a bomb if you've got the mana to pay for it, and if not, then you can search out a yeah, swamp. I mean, the, but the, at, at yeah. about five or six mana total, maybe that'd be worth it. But exactly seven, it's just like yeah, you, why are you, you searching out a, another land when you've already got seven on the table anyway? Yeah, that's right. Is it, well, is no, it no, 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 the, the, the cycling's for if you get it early. Yeah, so oh, okay, sorry. And if you, you get it early, then you can search out a swamp. If you get it late, then you, you can slurp. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, whack for four, but it's not. It's not strong. 
No. All right, Conflux selling itself to us here. <laughs> We've got Veleron Outlander for a forest. It's a gold card for a forest and a plane. Creature, human scout. She's a 2-2, and she has protection from black. That's it, creature, human scout. 2-2, two two, 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 protection two, from black. But you're committing, you're committing to green-white. That's all right, green-white. Yeah. Pretty common combo, and she comes out pro-black. <laughs> what, what are her creature types? Um, human human scout. and scout. No oh, man, she'd fit in right now with um, yeah. all the white green human tokeny scout. stuff that's going is on. Is a core? No, the core ally. Is that a scout? That a scout? That's that's the yeah. The, yeah. the core guys in uh, Battle for Zendikar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good solid little draft an, yeah, card. Look, it's mm. a solid little two drop. No problem with that at all. Worldly Council, one in an island for an instant, which has domain. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of basic land types among lands you control. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. It's workable. It's workable. You're probably going to get a choice of two or three early in the game when you really need it. Maybe yeah. more later, but in this set, was it mostly three-color? Uh, it was mostly three-color, but you, you know, obviously you had the chance to hybridize and get a few things out that were... Both kind, both land types. So, yeah. Look, I think you could be looking at a few good cards. It's it's not too bad. How no, much does it cost? Uh, one in an island, so it's cheap draw. Yeah, absolutely cheap draw of something that you want rather than just random cards. Yeah. Top two. Yeah. Do you remember what the was it an expensive set? Was it uh, fast? There was there was a tempo of the set. Because um, I suppose that's important to set well, in the context as well. well. It's so long ago now. It's sort of thinking about the block and even about the block and the block before it. Um, yeah. Because it came after it came after the set that, or the block that introduced hybrid mana costs, where you could pay either color uh, for something. Uh, so you know something that, co- that was white and green instead of costing a white and a green like this, it was pay two mana. They both have to, between them they have to be white and green. Right. Um, so between that and then the fixing in this, you know, you were having you were having five color decks um, just <laughs> really? flying around in standard. It was great. And so um, Chromanticore would have just been like a meh, back in, back yeah, in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, look, I mean, that, that sort of thing was a nice little add-on bonus. It's not a, otherwise it's not a great card, you know? Like, it's, it only works if you're doing that with, uh, with lots of different land types and, you know. Mm. Well, here's a, a burn spell from the day, a Quenchable Fire. It's got a different angle on it, and I haven't, I haven't seen a card that does quite something like this. Three in a mountain for a sorcery speed. Uh, Quenchable Fire deals three damage to target player. It deals an additional three damage to that player at the beginning of your next upkeep step unless he or she pays an island before that step. Huh. And it's specific about you playing an island. Yeah. That's cute. That, that is thematically quite yeah. cute. Yeah. Quenchable fire. Quenchable fire. And You've got to pour some water on it, otherwise it's going to hit you again. That's right. Four mana for three six burn. damage is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Four yeah. mana for three is not so good. <laughs> Yeah, but you're going to... Well, I was going to say, at worst, you can sideboard it in against every single person who's not playing blue, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did they have a lot of incentives like this for you to um, <laughs> want to play colours where, you know, there were bad cards out there for you that gave you some advantage if you were playing particular colours? There were a few around, Is that a theme yeah. in the set? But, but well, we've had the said. protection black as well, so there might be a bit of targeted colour hate. Yeah. As I said, you know, you do have five color decks and you have three color decks flying around. So the chances of your opponent not producing a blue yeah. are Pretty small. slimmer. Because mm. right. um, these days, something like that would be very... You'd, you'd feel like you'd 
have a pretty good chance of being able to play it and then to be taking six. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, rotting Rats. One in a swamp for a 1-1. One, one. He's got to have something special, right? What has he got? Creature, he's a zombie rat. When Rotting Rat... When Rotting Rats comes into play, each player discards a card. And it's got Unearth, which is another one and a swamp. Uh, return this card from your graveyard to play. It gains haste. Remove it from the game at the end of turn, or if it would leave play, or if it would leave play. Unearth only is a sorcery. So you can so get it back. So after it's dead, you can get it back for a single hit, basically. This is, this is one of my favourite... single hit of one. This is actually one of my favourite mechanics in the game, uh, is Black's penchant for <coughs> play this card and every player suffers something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the hope with Black is that you're getting that little bit extra value. Um, but that's one of Is the value for discarding cards? Well, there can be. Uh, certainly in the, the current set, you've got Madness. Oh, no, I was, I was meaning, like, back then... Not especially, except that you could put other things with Unearth in your graveyard. And there were some very, very big things with Unearth. So you theoretically... You're just flinging them back out. You could fling down, you know, like well, uh, it a, gives it a, a big dragon or something, bring him back for a hit, you know, and yeah. uh, and you've also got your rat on the table. <laughs> a, card, a card like this often uh, doesn't have a value in a late game. Well, this one kind of manages to do that, doesn't it? Because if in a late game, if your opponent's got one or two cards in their hand, yeah, it's usually going to be their bomb that they're wanting to play, and then they've got to chuck it away. It's going to right. yeah, yeah. But I think that's a great little are, card. Chances are you could be doing the same, and you, <laughs> you don't want to throw it away. You could be. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I do like that. and I, It's just one of my favourite mechanics from the game overall. Is, is Black has other creatures that are sort of, when you play this, everyone sacks a creature. You know? Yeah. Ash's favour, two and a planes for an enchantment, and it's an aura. Enchant creature, enchanted creature has flying, first strike, and vigilance for three cost. Oof. That's a bit mean, isn't flying, it? Flying, first strike, and vigilance is pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's fantastic. What a great. How, well, how tough? What's the power and toughness again? Oh, this uh, is just an enchantment. enchantment. Oh, it's an enchantment. Okay, yeah. so. so. Look, its only downside is that it's an enchant- a creature enchantment, um, and there was a reasonable amount of removal. We've already seen some of it. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for something to pump up a creature, it's a good choice. You can yeah. get the Kranoceros into the air. <laughs> we could be smacking them with a fire. That's about the only thing you can do Vigilance. with the Kranoceros. <laughs> yeah, I know. Vigilance wouldn't be much good, would it? All right. Um, so we haven't, otherwise, we haven't had a lot of creatures that have come back. We've got Tutus. And you rotting rats. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. The, look at this one. Nakatul Outlander. Nakatul Outlander. Nakatul Outlander for a mountain and a forest. He's a Tutu. So he's a bit like our Valoran Outlander there. Oh, the, ooh, there's a there's a theme there. They're all Outlanders. Yeah. Mm. He's a creature. He's a cat scout. So let's get tribal. And he's got protection from blue. So he's a 2-2 two, two for 2. Protection from blue. But he's yep. committing you to playing right. red-green. So the theme with these guys yep. is 2 drops for... Yep, uh, just a little side. Yep, yeah, one for every pair. Yep, uh, exactly. Yeah. So, That's you know, good. So cute. every set has yeah. a little pro... Beat down and again, with lots of colours in play, protection becomes better. Yep. Yep. Uh, Corrupted Roots. This is our first uncommon card. It's one swamp. It's just a swamp. And for an enchantment aura, enchant forest or plains. Whenever enchanted land becomes tapped, its controller loses two life. <laughs> and it's coming in early as well because it only costs you one. It's cute. Yeah. It's not going to long term stop someone, but you know. Then get, yeah, it's almost it rings a bell down. from some old early magic card. There was something like that, wasn't it? There was uh, 
Oh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was a, I think it was Black and One. And, yeah, that um, was painful, I seem to recall, yeah. on top of all the other life. Well, look, it slows you down by a turn at least, doesn't it? Because you, your first land becomes useless, unless you want to take damage for it. And well, you don't. This <laughs> next card is interesting because the, the art, and immediately I thought, oh, this art's levelled up a little bit, and it's by David Palumbo, who's one of the fir- I think one of the first names that I recognise from, well, most of the cards that we've had so far. Uh, Jesse and Didn't Barn he write Club? <laughs> no, oh, no, I'm not going to try and say Yeah, Fight Club author, very difficult name to pronounce. Jesse and Barmgiver for one, a plains and an island, is a creature, human cleric, for a 1 1. Uh, you can tap it, there's two tap conditions. Tap it and prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to target creature or play this turn. That sounds horrible. Or tap it, target creature is unblockable this turn. I like the second one. The yeah. second one's good. first one's pointless. It's only one, very fragile. Yeah. But the unblockable thing's great. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I think you can't, a lot you of need stuff other that creatures. comes with unblockable has to be kind of fragile, yeah. doesn't it? But you can't attack and... You, can you... No, so you can't uh, use it on itself, though. So you'd have no. to have well, another you, creature you, to attack in with. And can, you just wouldn't want to, yeah. It's, uh, look, yeah, it's an alright little card if you had something worth swinging with. All right, so that's our second uncommon. The final uncommon, if working on the same number system, is Sludge Strider. He's one, a plains, an island, and a swamp. There's he's a alliterative. You must like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's a 3-3. Three, three. So 3-3 three, three for four, but with three different colors, you've got to pay for it. An artifact creature who's an insect. Whenever another artifact comes into play under your control or another artifact you control leaves play, you may pay one. If you do, target player loses one life and you gain one life. Right. Again, there's lots of artifacts flying around, so it's not useless, but. Yeah. (laughs) Today, you would not go anywhere near this, would you? Not in a hurry. I can see in a really, really focused deck that being being a thing that you could do some fun with. The problem is, if. If there's a way to get him out very early, that would be fine, because then you could have the whole of the game where you're playing artifacts to ping away at your opponent. But the fact that he costs four, you know, is uh, it takes it takes a while to get him in the first place. Mm. He would team up well with uh, the sort of the fairy. Mer- if you're drafting, you know, you might look at looking at fairy merchant and sludge strider coming in so you get that. Yeah, well, it's effect. sort of it's certainly nudging you towards draft the white, blue, and black stuff if you're going to play him. Yeah. All right, different sort of uh, lineup in the Conflux. I've got a token. Ah. We've got a token next. So is it land next or is it the card? Oh, I don't what remember. Is it going to be? It is the land. There you go. So we go. Uh, we that go is an ugly zombie. Commons, uncommons, token, land, and then we have Conflux. What, what's, what's the big card from Conflux? Come what on. are we hoping for? I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> we have. Uh, oh, I haven't seen this, this card is before. Pre- no, it's just post Planeswalkers. Yeah, Guilt Spire Avenger, which is a forest, a plains, and an island for two-two. He's a creature, human soldier. He's a rare. He's got Exalted. Oh, I love that. Exalted's mechanic. great. Yeah. yeah. So that was just for historical sake. Uh, whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. He can also tap and destroy target creatures that dealt damage to you this turn. So right. can, yeah, that's a nasty little So this, is, this right. was the, the core, core mechanic for the, the blue-white-green faction, was Exalted, and you used to have you know several dudes on the table with Exalted, which meant you swung with one, and they got plus five, plus five sort of thing. Mm. Um, really cool. And 
fun to play still. I've got a, a commander deck that's, you know, still all about it. I played nice M13, I think, is when I started, or just at the end of Avison uh, Restored, and Exalted was around then, and mm-hmm. that was the decks I built. They were good fun. I mean, they were big, terrible, terrible decks, but they were good fun. Oh, but this guy... Magic's you know, all just, about playing terrible decks for fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy target creature that de- dealt damage to you this turn. If they, I mean, he's only 2-2, two, two, so prone to removal, but mm-hmm. if they can't get rid of him, they're not attacking. They're not using their good well, card They're not with something good, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you know, they're good. <laughs> Man, you could just pick them off. Yeah. All right. So, so that's your blast from the past. That's a blast from the past. Have you played with any of those cards and got anything to... Uh, look, if we want to talk about constructed stuff, I've definitely used the Fairy yeah. Machinist. Uh, the Guildspire Avenger I've played before. I, I certainly drafted when this set was around, so, you know, I've probably played most of this stuff. Quenchable Fire... Um, Definitely, rotting rats. I love. Yeah. As I said, I'd rec- definitely reckon, uh, rec- uh, recognize fairy me- mechanist from. Um, yeah, modern masters. Modern masters might have been both sets. I'm not sure. It seems very familiar. Yeah. <coughs> what would you pick? What are you taking home? No, what am I taking home? Personally, I'm taking the rotting rats. The rotting rats. <laughs> like I said, I just, yeah. I just love that whole black <laughs> everything dies thing. Luke, I like the fairy. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you something with this deck. Uh, I mean, a very modern centric view of this deck uh, it gives you something to aim for in, uh, in terms of no one's going to take Sludge Strider early would they? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Probably not, no. Especially Certainly not, not the Craniosaurus. <laughs> especially not if you've <laughs> taken Fairy Mechanist out and, that, and this pack's going around the table without any real other artifacts that you're going to grab. Mm-hmm. Leaves you out in the open a bit. Kim? Yeah, I might go to the Guild Spire Avenger. Guild yeah, Spire Avenger, I'd, I'd yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's good fun, isn't he? Nice artwork too. Very Although good. I'm very tempted by the Sludge Strider just because I can see it's in there to make you want to find ways to make it really work. Yeah. yeah. And the thing to remember with it is that it's any artifact that comes into play or another artifact you control leaves play. So you can get two hits out of it. Yeah, that's um, true. And if you've got a really, really focused deck. In draft, that's not as likely to happen, but in constructed, I find yeah. that. I, I imagine there was a deck or two built around that. Yeah, definitely. Where that was a factor. He was in those decks, for sure. What was it like drafting this set? Because it looks like you're committing to multiple colours early. Well, assuming that you drafted it with the rest of its block, uh, (coughs) yeah, it was... So, obviously, you'd still try to take the bombs first, which would then sort of lock you into some colours because, and very heavily lock you into those colours because they tend to be three colour cards. Mm. Uh, But there were times when you're just tempted to take the land first. (laughs) You know, like, if if you got a triple land... Oh, right, You're sort yeah. of like, well, I can hedge my bets on this pretty, pretty handily. Mm. Um, if it's multicolored, you can get solid land fixing, color fixing early on. There That's, was there was would, some solid you? land fixing around. Um, mm. The the core set in the block was uh, Shards of Alara, and that yeah had some very strong land fixing and artifacts to produce two colors of mana as well. So yeah, you, so you I'd, were pretty I'd be, set. I'd be terrified of first picking Sludge Strider these days, just because. It's like, I'm, I'm either going to be definitely playing these three colours and I might not see them from everyone else. Um, it, it seems like such a risk. I guess with or, three colours, look, look, with three spot, colours it's hard to get shut out entirely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things they bank on. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, these days you'll have someone on the table who's playing black, someone who's playing white, someone who's playing blue. They're going to milk out all the good cards off that and you're going to get all of the... Yeah, well, it's, very, it's very different at the moment. But, mm. you know, there's no reason that they couldn't do another set that was very... Uh, offered a lot of fixing choices, yeah. you know, and, and had multicolored decks. Oh, 
That was great fun. Conflux. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Never been in a Conflux pack before. No, I, I really wanted to do this just because you were talking about how uh, Aaron had costed out that photo that we put up online uh, when we were all posting oh, right. the seven <laughs> land hands. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and he costed out my hand and said it's over $1,000. Your so expedition pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a reputation to maintain. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll blob and get back with a topic discussion, which could be anything. Yeah, let's all do right. it. All right, welcome back. So we're going to talk a bit about like getting into magic and getting your kids into magic, 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 magic sort of stuff. Yeah, a bit of it. Yeah. So Kim and I have both recently discovered the joy of teaching our kids magic. Uh, and, and we were talking earlier and came to the conclusion that we're the first generation that's ever done this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it feels like pioneering territory. Um, I've, I've sort of talked a little bit on the podcast previously about teaching Avery the basics and, uh, and building a deck with him. What have you done so far with, uh, with Xavier? With Xavier? Um, so we started off with some of the free packs, that, you know, the 30-card decks that yeah. were out, of, was it a year or two ago now? Oh, they come, out, they come out quite regular. They're just the little the cardboard Yeah, the decks. introductory yeah. one, yeah. single colour. Mm-hmm. So we started with those. I'd explained to him how to play the game. Basically, he'd played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, a little bit before, so I gave him the red deck. I took the blue deck, and he smashed me. <laughs> he absolutely smashed me in the first game. That's exactly he just what went, happened to me. Tap with attack. exactly those colours. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a structural thing in that particular set. Maybe blues just shit. Yeah, I think that was it because I could never put anything decent out. Anyway, um, so since then I've been trying to teach him about the principles about mana curve and that you know you got to have a bell curve of. Of, of creatures in your deck and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we're, we're soon going to get into practicing for drafting um, because he and some of his uh, bright little magic friends really enjoy picking those cards. And, and what I loved, and drafting was always my favorite kind of magic because you'd have Absolutely. to do the best with yep. crap cards yeah. and find cards that fitted into a deck that you made on the fly. Everybody had access to the same cards. A real test of skill. And you get you get joy out of some using some cards which you'd never use. That's right. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, I, so love, I love Sealed for the same reason. Yeah, yeah. It's, just... yeah it's the full fleshed out version of Magic. Yeah. And it reminds me of the very first period of Magic when I first opened those the 60-card kitchen table and days. Yeah. You know, a handful of booster packs. And, and every you're not card four mattered. of everything. No, yeah. that's right. You didn't even know that there was four of them. Yeah. You're just like, this card <laughs> looks awesome. This one's slightly more powerful. Yeah. Little no kids, I want them to have that period where they're finding the game first and just going yeah. just not understanding it in a terribly deep way but exploring yeah, well, we've just kicked off a um, sealed league at work and a lot of people are new to the game completely new to the game so yeah. I'm not teaching my kids but I'm like teaching my office kids yeah. the game <laughs> Well, that's sort of how it translates to the audience as well. It's like, yeah, how do you teach your office mates to play? Yeah. So, um, with difficulty. Yeah? <laughs> with difficulty. Like, they, they pick up the basics fairly quickly, but every single person I've taught the game to so far, and it must be some something to do with the way I'm explaining it, but they'll insist on trying to attack the other person's creatures with their creatures. Oh, okay. No matter not, what. Not the life total. It is not actually kind total. of logical. Like, if yeah, you're new I to the game... there's a natural sense that, that that is what would happen if you were actually fighting yeah. with creatures in the way. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's thematically logical and many games do that these days. Yeah. You know, you do smash down mm. each other. Especially Hearthstone, Hearthstone as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, for me it's been really interesting just seeing him evolve thematically and mechanically. Um, the other night he sat down and played against one of my, Will, one of my employees here. Um, and Will was taking it easy on, on Avery. Uh, but 
just getting to see Avery actually sort of puzzle out things and, you know, how are we going to do these blocks? How are we going to arrange it? What am I going to do about that big thing that he's played? Oh, it's got a weakness. I know how to tackle it. You know, it was just interesting to see those logical processes start to come together yeah. in the actual play of the game. Because that's why magic was always so addictive, this constant evolving puzzle you have to solve to mm-hmm. win games and that kind of stuff. That's right. Um, and it's good to see kids mentally engaging with those complex puzzles. Um, I think my son very quickly spotted that I was maybe going a little bit easy on him. He was like, Dad, 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 don't go easy on me. I'll never get better. You've got to play hard. And so me and some of the other dad gamers that have kids that we're teaching magic to, we're like, how can we give ourselves a handicap but still play as hard as we can? And we're like, okay, when we draft, we'll have an unwritten rule that we always have to draft three colours. And so we've just got a little bit more chance of mana screw or yep. just the complexity of that or having weaker creature choice or whatever. So the kids don't know that this is happening. The kids won't know that it's happening. Unless they listen to this total. podcast, then yeah. we're screwed. Well, I've gone the other way. So, um, uh, Avery, what, you just smash him every time? No, no, no. <laughs> so Avery, Avery built his first deck. Um, pretty much it. I just gave him you know, a box of black and green cards because that was the colours he asked for. Let him pull out what he wanted. Go for it. And then after I saw his deck, I built one that was roughly even, but maybe slightly less powerful. Okay. That still had combos and, you know, bits and pieces, but just wasn't as good. And I play that as hard as I can against him. And, you know, like, so I come up with maybe one in three wins. Yeah. And he thinks he's the best player <laughs> ever. But, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we've, we've managed to achieve the, it's not just daddy smashing him every time, but at the same time, he's actually starting to puzzle things out and work man himself, yeah. which is good. You know, so have you gone, Luke, with... Um, have, you, have you assisted your newbie workmates with building their seals? Oh, decks? absolutely. Yeah. Like, I've been talking through, you know, you look for your bombs, you look for removal, and then you kind of fill out your curve Speaking a of bombs, bit. talk about this guy at your work who can't stop cracking Arlen Corbin. Oh, my. <laughs> so we went to a couple of events, like pre-release events. Yeah. This guy, he's never played Magic before in his life. He's opened two pre-release packs and a few boosters. In that time... He's cracked a Sorin and three Arlands, which are like the Power Planeswalkers in the new set. <laughs> Just over, the, over the span of what? It would be about 20 boosters? How many foils? Uh, two of those Arlands are foils. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, the actual, like, the current Magic players who are listening are just, mm-hmm. like, shaking their fists yeah. at the yeah. air right now. <laughs> yeah. But sorry, but go on to... You were helping them put together decks. Oh, yeah, and just... It's hard when they don't have a lot of experience with the game explaining why they wouldn't want the card that only costs one but gives them five life. I mean, that's good, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, guys, no. Fog, this stops everything bad from happening to me. No. Hey, Fog is excellent. Fog is actually excellent. <laughs> no. draft, oh, my down. God. My first rare <laughs> in my first starter deck that I opened up uh, was called Farmland, and it was a three-white enchantment that you paid two white in your upkeep and gained two life. And oh, I was like, that no. is the shit when I was first playing. I was <laughs> like, I oh, this game? I'll keep getting life all the time. <laughs> so, uh, if you, if you, so if you've got a target person in your life that you want to get playing Magic, what's, what's, what do you reckon to get them in? What's the tips? Well, I, look, one of the things we're looking at doing is getting some of those um, starter packs where you get like 225 cards. Yeah. Um, just get them the deck builder's toolkits, get those. Um, I actually really like the paired decks that you can buy where you, yeah. one deck yep. fights another. Yep. I know they're probably coming variable levels of complexity, but... They come very varying levels of quality as well. That's um, probably true. But I, look, I think with those, part of their pitch of those things is you assume they're well matched against each other. You yeah. should be able to assume generally that. Speaking, generally speaking, you can. There's some like 
they did speed versus cunning and speed just won every time. Right. Um, well, that's dumb. But, but you know, yeah, yeah. I think, generally speaking, I think any good store owner should be able to go, okay, you're just starting with magic or you want to play with your kids. Mm-hmm. Here's a good paired set of decks. That's exactly it's right. It's all built already, ready to go, open it up, shuffle it up, explain how to play and yeah. you'll have a good game. Those things are the key for first teaching kids how to play magic. But And then you can deepen the experience with actually... And intro deck intro decks are good for that as well. Like there's a pre-constructed deck, and you can just intro deck versus intro deck as yep. well, and you can pick your own color and that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, even scaling it back, I found like you can just grab a, a ton of junk and just like build a couple of really, really like vanilla decks mm. out of just your junk, and no. you don't care. You can let they'll take them, take it yeah, home. Absolutely, with you, you know? junk, junk's the best fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, just to go to go home. You know, if they just take that deck home, they're like, wow, I've got a whole deck of cards here. I can play it again next yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've got ownership on it. Um, the thing that sold our group on it was the theme of the new set. Like we yeah. were kind of talking about Gatewatch, but it's like, yeah, well, Eldrazi, no one really cares. Yeah. But you know, it's like vampires and werewolves and stuff. People are really keen to explore a familiar space. Yeah, I think themes are a great way to hook people in to the game initially when they're when they're sort of arming and ahhing about how the mechanics actually work. It's well, you know, let's just let's just play some themes. Let's get some vampires down on the table. Yeah. Attack me with your vampires, you know? Hence them voting off the theme of a forthcoming, uh, the releases. They, what did they end up with? Was yeah, that's it really interesting. Mesoamerican. Um, yeah, is that the one that won? Theme was the one that won, I think. Yeah. Uh, just did it pipped uh, Ancient Egyptian, which really upset me. Oh, really? Um, yeah. That's surprising. I was surprised. I thought Egypt would have been a lock. Maybe there's I thought a, so as well. Uh, may, maybe there's a lot of American interest in uh, something yeah, on that true. continent, you know? I'm already mourning the passing of um, Innistrad going by again. <laughs> it's like, even though it's current, I'm like, oh, please don't go away. Oh, look, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. We've still got another set. Yeah, I'm just happy it came back because I'm, I'm the first one to go, no, let's not go back. Let's invent something new every time. You know, just don't, don't recycle what you've built. But free pass for Innistrad. That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can do that. So, well, while we're talking about that sort of design element and, and adding new sets, um, Kim is, uh, well, he's, he's a game designer and we've been working on games for, what, oh, four, four years or five or something years now, yeah. 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 And you've just talked to uh, Mark Rosewater, mm-hmm. who's, you know, like, the game designer of, like, honestly, the thing that you've got to drive home is that guy has to be innovative every day, yeah. right? You know, like, he actually has to create something new every time they want to do um, a new set. I think my favourite thing that he said in, in the time I spoke to him was he was talking about the Borg, like from Star Trek, the Borg, and just saying that Magic fans, like the Magic audience, was the Borg. He needs to... He can't use what he's used before ever again, even if he's using something like the new set bringing um, Madness back. He's got to use that new way, so he's mixed it with different keywords this time, but he just needs to constantly be changing because that's what the expectation is. Hmm. So, I mean, let's, let's see if we can get some common design wisdom here. I, I don't want to put you in the, on the spot, Kim, but you know, if you were He's in that, to. if you were in that place where you had to think of new mechanics and new ideas for monstrous um, on a three-monthly basis, you know, um, yeah. how would you go about it? Like we need two hundred new cards. That's right. You immediately cards. employ a ton of people. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Look. Um, the, the challenge is, like in Monsters, we fundamentally had about three or four different types of monster abilities. So there are um, reactive ones that happen after a monster gets hit, and so there's probably more thematic space to explore that in. But we can't go too deep with that because you want the game to be largely about things that happen when monsters hit something else. So we wanted only about a yeah. third of the monsters to be passive reactive things. 
uh, or a quarter of them. Um, there are other there are cards that destroy other monsters or affect them or rethrow them or bounce them back into their hands, so they have a, a physical immediate effect on the other monsters. There's probably a little bit more space to explore there. And there are cards that are all about points combos, depending on how many monsters are here or there or how many monsters you're touching or how many monsters are touching the location that you're on. So we'd need to come up with more of those different types of fundamental variants of those mechanics. So they're like subtypes of mechanics. Um, I, we've, we do have some ideas for an expansion that we're going to work into, which would be a sort of gods and heroes expansion, where you'd have heroes that you can control and throw, and they might have different effects on monsters as well, so we'd deepen it with actually being able to control heroes as wrathful gods. Right, that Pegasus. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but, so, but Monstrous was never set up structurally to be a sort of thing that you could add endless amounts of, oh, of creature not. things onto. So I know Mark Rosewater's talked a lot about his whole skeleton process of building sets, um, which is a really, really interesting one of his gazillion podcasts um, <laughs> and, and articles that he's written. But that was really, really great in terms of seeing how the process that you'd have to go through to flesh out a big set of cards like Magic. And I remember, uh, some of you guys might remember Ben Sek, who was a very yeah. well-known Magic player in the day when I played as well. Um, and very early in the day, maybe two or three years into Magic, he made up his own set of Magic mm -hmm. and asked us all to play and play test it. And then he, I I'm, that, yeah. I'm sure, used that to pitch his design skills to other people down the track. That's it never got made, but he had a dream of becoming like a magic designer. Yeah. Good on him. Uh, it's yeah. a huge epic thing. I was involved with that process just a little bit. So I got to see how massive it is to try and develop a magic set. And he did a really good job of it up front. And I guess he was mimicking what he'd seen in the structures of the magic sets that had come out so far and realizing that you had to come up with a new mechanic or three. Um, but I think the key thing about Magic is that it is actually game design 101. Like, mm. when you learn how to construct decks, you're learning game design skills at the same time. When you're learning how to draft on the fly, that's game play and game design skills as well because you're get getting to see very, very rapidly how to iterate, how to do various things, how to decide on a strategy and try and chase it, and then you're trying to find the limitations of those and discovering the limitations of how you can build sets that work in a really functional deck. So there, there is almost a, a built-in sense of user-generated content, isn't is. there? That yeah, you know, yeah. you're building your own deck, you're customizing it. We've got uh, one of our regulars here, who has built a power cube, uh, or he, he names it the power cube. Um, <laughs> but it is a, a a cube, so a constructed set of magic cards, um, printed ones, uh, that is specifically set aside for drafting. It's got exactly the right number of cards to draft out, um, plus a few extra packs, sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, so he, he brings that in once in a while and we, we literally just sit there and get to play sort of a best of of all of Magic. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. But he created that. You that's know? right. That's, that's the exciting thing. He would have thing. learned a lot of game design skills there, whether he was just looking aware for of it combos or not. Just and, looking yeah, for combos right. and the structure of things and the weighting of all the points mm -hmm. um, of the dudes and, and spells that he put in there. And, yeah, a lot of stuff going on there. There's so a, I, I owe a lot of magic. I owe a lot yeah. of magic in terms of just basic game design principles. I was think also thinking in, the, in terms of uh, monstrous, though, you know, it's not necessarily something that you want to design and then spend the next thirty years working on, right? You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a project for. I mean, it's in the core design of a game. If you're thinking, I just want this to go on and on and on and on, yeah. that's an early decision that you would make, isn't that's it? Right. You know, well, I mean, obviously, magic with Richard was his whole idea of pitching. A baseball card scale collectible thing Something with hundreds of cards in it. In between Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, wasn't that? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Play, yeah. play while you're in a bit of downtime between games. So he didn't go into that 
with very specific design goals, saying, I want magic to be what it is now back yeah. then. He, it, was, it was one of these weird historical luck things where yeah. he just mixed a couple of things in together that had never been mixed before. Right place, right time. Yeah. yeah. And it's gone, gone crazy. One other thing that sort of, in my mind, binds the, binds the four of us um, is there's a definite, uh, there's definite interest in art. Uh, at the table. So you got to speak to uh, Jeremy Jarvis. Uh, Jeremy Jarvis, yeah. sorry. Uh, who is the lead art director for Magic. Uh, we've obviously been working together to secure a bunch of artists for Monstrous and other games that we're working on. Yeah. Um, and uh, David just really, really likes Noah Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's, 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 yeah, Noah's great. I mean, we've talked to him on the show and <laughs> since, and he's just a lovely guy. But, yeah, I mean, the magic is what gets you in. It was... I can remember looking at magazine covers before I was, you know, looking at... I was, before I was playing Magic, looking at magazine covers of artists that I enjoyed and liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Bra- um, Ray, uh, Ray Bradbury's Ray, not Ray, an Raymond Swanland, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Bradbury wasn't doing it, no. <laughs> yeah, Swanland, he had, you know, like, uh, he did a couple of Alien Predator covers for this magazine, and we're looking mm-hmm. at them, going, these are fantastic, these are great. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, then this guy's also doing this art that's on this card in this game, and I was like, maybe I should play this game, because it's fabulous looking, and, yeah. and that was the gateway to magic. And again, look, uh, again, crossing over. Uh, Luke, you have written quite a successful comic, um, yeah, yeah. which you had to find artist uh, or an artist for in the first place. Um, so wasn't that a nightmare process? Yeah, well, yeah. We're, but we're in that space of looking for artists to make our products more exciting. Yeah. Um, tell me, you know, right a little bit Jamie about how Magic does it from your experiences. Well, like, I, I guess no matter what you're looking, if you're looking for an artist to work with on a project you need to find the right style. And it sounds like the most basic, obvious thing, but someone who is a good artist is not good for the thing you're doing necessarily. Um, And the idea of finding someone with the right look and finding someone whose art will kind of fit your game or or your comic or whatever you're doing... I mean, obviously, you'd know, Kim, like working with someone trying to find the right style for Monstrous. Obviously, what works for that was not going to be the same thing that worked for my comic. No, that's right, yeah. We had to find five artists, um, one of whom did all the locations, and we wanted one sort of consistent look and feel for those. But the five, uh, the four monster art- artists, we want, we wanted their styles to feel coherent, so that if you really tried, you could pick which artist did which monsters. But if you look at them as a whole, you weren't going to go. That one's wildly different in style from this one. Yeah. They all sort of look like they're from the same world, same setting, same art direction. Yeah, and and um, it was the same thing talking to Jarvis. I know you were complaining about this when you heard I was about to speak to him. Um, the the shall we go cohesive aesthetic of magic? How I would like you phrase sameness. it? Sameness, sameness, yeah. <laughs> um, but that for them was a deliberate thing because they are building this kind of shared universe across you know dozens of artists, and they need it to look similar. Mm-hmm. But each artist is obviously still slightly doing their own thing. You know, they need to build that aesthetic because that's what their game is. That's what they're building it on. But some of them, I mean, yeah, they have common iconic things within the pictures, but then some of them were worlds apart, like Nils Ham to Raymond Swanland. Mm. It's like they're not even in the same universe, that those sort of pictures, but it's part of the same game. Yeah. But if there's something iconic within that theme of that block, they'll, they'll both have that in there. Well, I don't see Nils Ham getting to do that that often. I think he's got a free reign <laughs> <laughs> with his three textures of blue, pink, and grey. Mm. At the uh, at the Melbourne GP that I went to uh, recently, they had uh, Ryan Yee and RK Post. Uh, both they're both yeah. prominent magic artists, but 
very varied in style. Um, Ryan is much more sort of evocative and uh, and about backgrounds and layers and and locations, whereas uh, Post is a very much a character um, illustrator. And it was interesting talking to both of them and, and hearing similar like similar stories. Obviously, as you say, they're getting the same art direction from mm-hmm. the same place, but but they were telling very similar stories about working working for magic uh, and um, it just made me think you know like it's very easy for us when we're talking to artists to think about what we want but I'm, I'm really curious to see sort of what the experience is on the other side of the of that how they effectively you know, convey how, what, yeah. what do they bring you've worked a lot with, with Orlando on bad on, guys yeah. like how much of that did he bring to the table do you feel I, like, by design, tried to be fairly vague in terms of the brief and the um, kind of staging that I provided. Like, it was like, here's what is necessary to tell the story. Everything else I want to leave up to you because I don't want to be too constraining if I'm working with an artist on something. Obviously, that was a slightly different thing because, you know, we were creating a comic together. Um, But I totally see the need in briefing, especially when you're doing world building as well as having a consistent kind of look across stuff because... You know, with magic, they're trying to tell stories and planes. I've got a tiny little box to do it in, um, which is, I guess, you see that a lot more in this set as well, because there's like repeated iconography, like Avison's collar. There's like another little cult symbol that makes a few yeah. appearances. Stuff that's layered into the yeah. background. It definitely gives a coherence to the whole world that they're building there. Yeah, so, yeah. having thirteen of everything in 13. the art. That, that art Genius. direction must have been amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I can totally see why they need to be a lot more specific in what they're requesting, but you don't want to deny artists that freedom when you're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. And, um, Kim, with Monstrous, how many... Uh, I don't want to use the word send back, but how many times did we uh, did you end up asking for revisions on some of the art? Uh, it would vary based you on You had a the... very set picture in your head of some of the things, didn't you? I did. I mean, uh, my process was did a, I did a global art sketch first, uh, art brief first, where I, I sketched out the, the time period that the game was set in because it's meant to be sort of quasi-historical. So, and, I, and I set down a few rules about how much gore I did or didn't want in the game. So I wanted lots of fangs and claws, but no ripped entrails and faces off and all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, So there was a kind of framework with, within which they could all work. Um, then with each particular piece, we'd come up with an idea. Often it would be, I'd, I would have a really good idea at first, what I thought was a workable idea, and I'd sketch something in my terrible drawing style, but enough for them to get the idea of what I wanted. Yeah. We had this idea in the cards that the monsters pop out of the frames of the cards to try and make it a little bit more in your face, a bit more visceral. So we were always very conscious when we were drawing is how could we um, compose this image so that the monster is popping the frame in a way that's interesting. So, for example, the siren card is a lot more of a passive, subtle card. The tentacles are kind of snaking up the side of the frame, and uh, on first glance, I don't think you'd notice that. Whereas Cyclops like, is the, the Cyclops the one that pops is actually out of the reaching box, out yeah. of the card and reaching out of the box of the game as well, yeah. and his, his hand is very visibly popping the frame there. Um, whereas the Hydra's various heads are kind of popping out in different directions as well, and you've got people's spears coming from outside of the the frame pointing in so it adds a lot of depth of field so we once we started really honing on that we had a lot of fun playing with how you could try and add that depth perception to cards without necessarily making them 3d yeah. so there's a big part of what we're trying to do but also just like what's the feeling of what the card does and i wanted the cards to look like their ability as well 
Yeah. So the dragon's got a breath weapon effect and it's kind of locking and loading that breath weapon effect in the picture, whereas the hydra chases monsters away, so it's got heads popping out of the cards in all directions so that kind of whatever it hits gets smashed. Um, the manticore gets points for every card its tails spikes hit, so it's got tail spikes flying out of the cards in all directions. So we tried to just kind of make the card's powers live through and I already knew what all those powers were so it was kind of easy to take a cue from the powers and try and flesh that out in the art and that's why we were trying to make it really really thematic um, as far as we could and, and make sure the artists went through with that. Some artists would just take three or four major iterations, others was as high as 11 or 12 and maybe I pushed the envelope of what they were expecting <laughs> to, to do there but often it would be like a little trick like oh it would be nice to have some green icor on the tip of the Manticore's main yeah. spike. It's interesting yeah. talking to different artists. I, I'm working on commissioning a, a playmat at the moment for Good Games. And um, one of the artists that I've contacted has said specifically at the front, I'll do three sketches and then the final work. And that's, that's you know, yeah. what you get in your cost. And, uh, and one of the others was just like, you know, oh, look, we'll just do it till, till it's right. You know? yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's really interesting the different takes that people take on that mm. sort of thing. All right, should we have a break? I'll do a bit of our MTG card quiz. Oh, if and you want, we'll come yeah, back sure. with more of this after that. Okay, sure. Alrighty. Okay, so in the face of realising that the MTG card quiz, as it was written, isn't going to work, because we don't know enough about Shadows of Renistrad right now, Jamie, you've got a proposal. So we've turned the flavour text section on its head a little bit. What I've done is uh, I've given all the guys an art brief for a new card, and uh, they have then gone and created... Uh, flavor text for that card, and we're hoping maybe some names and details. We'll see how we'll see what we get. So here's what the brief was. There's an owl screeching towards the frame. It's got its claws outstretched, its wings outstretched. It's coming right at you. Below it, you can see there's a, a forest fire sort of thing happening, steam heat rising up from the ground, and reflected in the owl's eyes, you can see a terrifying dragon. David... What'd oh. you come up with? <laughs> I've got to go first. You've got to go right. first. You're the host. All right, so <laughs> flavor text. Now you'll know what it feels like to have your turn, your head turned all the way around. Uh-huh. That was a quote from Mr. Tawny Port. <laughs> 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 all right, and uh, in your mind, what's this card? What's it do? It's a, what, 3-2 flyer with uh, <laughs> pointy claws. That, that's more details than I need. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Kim, what you yeah, got? Yeah, just a bog standard creature flyer. Uh, we've got a, a blue-green owl here, and nobody likes to be taken down by blue-green, so there's a little bit of ignominy, <laughs> ignominy in this one. So I've gone with um, the last thing you see isn't feathers and claws, it's the shame. <laughs> <laughs> Love yeah. it. Uh, okay, Luke? Okay, uh, I've gone with it's the predators you don't hear coming that you need to worry about. Ooh, that's good. All right, well, for me, uh, I called it the megalithic owl. And, uh, and my flavour text was, evolutionary biologists have long pondered the land of inversia, where the relative sizes of all animals are the reverse of our own. Mm. <laughs> that was flavour text. Oh, that we was. Do, we didn't do the tune. But it doesn't matter. That was There's alternate a... flavour text. Yeah. <laughs> Needs some twos. Needs some twos. Needs some twos light. Uh, okay, so we've just got a stand message about uh, hypermagic nerd badges. Got a bag full of them right here, in fact. Uh, we'd love to know more about your geeky pursuits. If you have a shadow following you, if you suspect that you may be the dark side of a transform card, please get in touch and comment on the Facebook page. If we talk about it, mention it, anything like that, we'll send you out one of these badges that have gone all around the world. 
Our Facebook is the place to be. It is. <laughs> and don't forget, this month you can win Monstrous by leaving a comment on the post for episode 67, which is currently pinned to the top of the Seven Land Hand Facebook page. And um, you can also pop into your local good game store with the password, fellas. Get Monstrous. Okay, get three guys together, walk in all together and say... Get, get Monstrous. On account of two other people. Yeah, yeah you need, yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. All right. Uh, and that's that. All right. That was uh, Seven Land Hand in Hurstville. Thanks for coming in. I'll, not, I'll cut back to you, John. Well, how about I thank you for coming? You're the one who's travelled all this way. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. It was so nice <laughs> not sounding me. like I'm on a tin can at the end of a string, you know? <laughs> yeah, next next fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- and thanks for coming in, Kim Breback. No worries. Back of uh, Monstrous Fame. Yep. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, thanks for coming in, Luke. Thank you. Did you want to? Oh, Luke, did you want to plug the comic? Is that? Oh, yeah, I should totally plug my comic. It's called The Bad Guys. You can read it on Webtoons, which is a website that has comics on it. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get a link in somewhere. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes, so you've got to bug us and make sure we do our homework. And, Jamie, thanks for having us. Yeah, any time. While we're we're plugging things, what's what's next from Good Games Publishing? We've got Unfair coming, haven't we? Unfair is probably the next one coming up. Yeah, Yeah. it's a fantastic theme park building game. It might be neck and neck with Release the Kraken. Might be, following straight after it, I think, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Release the Kraken. Expansion for Monstrous. Tentacles everywhere. So many tentacles. Yes, (laughs) I not get enough tentacles. Throwing cast madly into the air. Yeah, so if you you haven't backed Monstrous, uh, you might not have heard about it, but the, the Kraken is a monster that you throw him, and when you do... Everyone else gets a tentacle and gets its broken. Two tentacles each. Yeah. Two tentacles. So it's kind of like a wrath of gods. Yeah. yeah. And everything they touch dies. Yeah. Fantastic. And oh, and that will be how we're going to get that. We'll kickstart that. And if you didn't pick up monsters first time around, you might be able to um, pick that up along with the expansion as well. Fantastic. All right. That's it. Good night, everybody. Night. Bye.